pray together. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are our living hope, uh, that you are a personal God. You are our living hope. You're my living hope. Thank you that you are alive, that you defeated the grave, uh, that you've been raised to life, and that you offer us life. Uh, Lord, thank you that in you alone hope is found. Uh, Lord, we should be, we ought to be the most hope-filled people on the planet. And so I pray that you would pour your hope into our hearts this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Uh, I am going to ask Anna Richardson if she would come this morning for our first Advent reading. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is a word that means coming. As a church family, we think back to the anticipation of Jesus some 2,000 years ago, and we look forward as a church body to his uh, coming again. And so each week, uh, we're going to have someone read a scripture passage, and then Lord willing, we're going to light a candle. You ready for that? And so this week, Anna is going to read our scripture passage, and she's going to light our first candle. I'm going to hold the microphone for you, okay? The first candle. Is it on? The first candle of Advent is hope. Hope calls us to remember the hope that is ours in Jesus. As we anticipate Christmas, let us remember the birth of Jesus, our hope of glory. Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 62, 5 through 6. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from whom? Truly, he is my rock and my f salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Very nice. Do you know how this works? Okay. I trust you. Thank you, Anna. Uh, church family, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 5. You can follow along uh, on your Bible app uh, under events. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to dismiss the children. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kids, get out of here. Sorry about that. Whew. Stumbled out of the gate. I don't know how I'm going to recover. I'm going to be honest with you. Thanks, kids. Uh, we're still going to be in Luke 1, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there uh, or you can follow along on the screen. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, reads, In the days of Herod, uh, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Uh, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your living and active word. Uh, thank you for uh, this beautiful story that you have invited us uh, to be a part of. Lord, thank you for your unfolding plan. Thank you for your true promises. Thank you for uh, the fact that in the busyness of the Christmas season, you invite us to quiet our hearts before you and to listen uh, to, to your voice. Lord, thank you that you've spoken to us through uh, your word and by your spirit. God, this morning I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive uh, what you have for us this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. A couple weeks ago when Billy and I were in Jordan, we had an opportunity to attend a church service, and that church service included a little presentation by the kids of the church. Uh, if you have been a part of a church for any length of time, you know a highlight is seeing kids paraded in front of the congregation. Uh, you never know exactly what is going to take place. Uh, we certainly didn't know what was going to take place, but I noticed a few common themes. Uh, I noticed there were some nerves uh, from some of the children who were there to sing a song and recite a scripture passage. Uh, at one point, one of the little girls stopped and looked up at her mother, who happened to be the children's director, whispered something in her, air, in her ear. Her mother gave her her approval, and she went on saying her verse. Has that ever happened before? Of course it has. If you stood in front of people, you have experienced nerves. Uh, there was a little kid standing in front of the church, and uh, I, I just looked at him. I couldn't take my eyes off him, at least not for a while. At one point, I leaned over and I said to Billy, Billy, either he is going to end up in prison or he's going to be the next Apostle Paul. Like he was just one of those kids that just had a ton of energy, and you couldn't help but notice him as he ran around the stage. 
Uh, But there was one little girl that day who stood out in my mind. She probably was about three years old. And the reason that I remember her is because she was not on the stage, but she wanted to be. Uh, She was sitting in the front row, and as the kids were singing and reciting their verses, uh, she multiple times tried to sneak up so she could stand in front of the parishioners. Uh, Friends, family members kept on grabbing her and bringing her back and sitting her down in her seat. Uh, But one time she broke free, and she ran up to the stage and put her hands up on top of the stage, and she began to swing her leg up on top of the stage like Ethan Hawke in Mission Impossible hanging from a mountain. She desperately wanted to stand in front of the people. You know, it was funny, she wasn't a part of the program, uh, but she made herself a part of the program. As I watched her, I thought to myself, you know, a lot of times in life, I functionally act a whole lot like that little girl. Um, I I want to be uh, the center of attention in a program uh, where I am not the star. Oftentimes, when we read the Bible, uh, we want to make ourselves the center of the story when we're really not the center of the story. The story of Scripture, the story of God's Word, is a story about Jesus. Uh, But oftentimes, we come to the book and we immediately think to ourselves, um, how does this story apply to me? Now, I should point out that Scripture Uh, is for us, but it's not about us. Scripture is for us, but it's not about us. We're not the star of the show, and yet, as we open up God's Word together, there is much for us uh, to learn about who we are and how we are to respond to God. And so with that in mind, this morning, as we think about this passage from Luke chapter 1 together, I want us just to think about three different things. I want us to think about what this passage teaches us about God. What does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about humanity, about you and me, about who we are? And then third, I want us to think about how to respond or think together, is there something in this passage that God is causing us or calling us to think to do or to feel, right? to think, to do, or uh, to feel. And so I want us to think through that framework this morning. First, I want us to think together about what this passage teaches us about God. The first thing that we are reminded of is that God is in control. God is in control. God is sovereign over his story. He ordained uh, these events, and he ordained the events in your life and in mine. God said that this was going to happen, and it happened. The reason he said it was going to happen, and it happened, is because he controls what happens. Right? So as we consider the Christmas story, we are reminded that this story has been promised for thousands of years. Like There has been great anticipation from one generation to the next. God has been working and orchestrating the events of the world Uh, to come to this point in time uh, when John the Baptist would come as a forerunner to Jesus. John the Baptist came to point other people to Jesus. 
You know, I was thinking when I was a little kid, I was a, a fan of NBA basketball, and I was a fan of the Detroit Pistons. And there was this time when uh, the Pistons would always play the Chicago Bulls. And the Bulls had a couple decent players uh, on their team. There was this guy, uh, Scottie Pippen. Uh, he, he was pretty good. Bill Cartwright, he shot funny, but I still remember him. Um, there was a three-point shooter that went on to, to coach an NBA uh, team. He, he was really good. I think he's with the Warriors now. And then there was, a, there was another guy. What was his name? Oh, Michael Jordan. That's right. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan played for the Bulls. And I, I was not a fan of Michael Jordan. Uh, even to this day, quite honestly, we're not friends. Um, I would do coffee with him if he asked. Like, I would be open. I wouldn't turn him away. Uh, but I wasn't a fan of Michael Jordan because Michael Jordan always beat the Pistons. And regardless of what the circumstances were in the game, I would watch the game on television. And even as a little kid, I would think to myself, they're going to come back and win. The Bulls are going to win. Michael Jordan is going to do something. Like he's going to hit the shot. He's going to steal the ball. He's going to have a defensive stop. He's going to do something. And the Bulls are going to defeat my beloved Pistons. And you'll never guess what happened. Every time. He did it every time time it was predictable i would sit back at the end of the game and i would go i knew it i just knew it i knew it would play out that way uh, do you know when when god looks at human history and, and he sees the plan for the world uh, he doesn't sit back like i did as a little kid and think to himself i just knew it i just knew it would happen that way as if he really wasn't in control but he had a sneaking suspicion that it would play out the way that it did Instead, God is sovereign over uh, the universe, and he's sovereign over the events in your life and in mine. He's not caught off guard. Uh, God is in control. When I read this story, when I see the Christmas story unfold, I am reminded that we serve a sovereign God. And that's so important to remember, because when life does not play out the way that we want it to, uh, when we find ourselves taking a bit of a detour in life, when we sit back and we go, I never would have planned it this way. It is important for us to be reminded that God is not caught off guard. God is not surprised. God is sovereign. Uh, we learn that God is sovereign. We also see here that nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. It goes without saying, but um, this particular pregnancy was not supposed to happen. Th this doesn't happen. Not, not this way. This is unusual. It says in verse 7, but they had no children or they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both Zechariah and Elizabeth were advanced in years. Uh, barren women who are advanced in years typically do not give birth to children. I'm not a medical doctor, uh, but I know this much, that in the Greek, advanced in years means old. You can look it up. Uh, she, she was old and she was barren. And so you would not expect her to be chosen by the God of the universe uh, to usher in John the Baptist into God's story. But isn't it interesting that oftentimes God does the unexpected and he uses people that you would never expect 
uh, to be a part of his story. It is his M.O. It's how God operates. God uses unsuspecting, ordinary people uh, to do seemingly extraordinary things. He uses advanced in years, older women uh, to bring forth a John the Baptist. He used a young, young virgin girl uh, to usher in the Savior of the world. God oftentimes uses people that we do not expect uh, to, to uh, do extraordinary things. And yet it's funny because these people that God oftentimes uses um, would not make it through the HR depart- department in Christendom. Like you would, you would look at their resumes, you would look at where they are in life, you would look at their experiences, and they wouldn't be the first person that you would choose um, to do a significant work. And yet oftentimes God does that. And the reason that he does that is because nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing's too difficult for God. Are you facing a situation, a scenario of this morning that seems impossible? Like it seems impossible. It makes no earthly sense. You sit back and you think to yourself, there's nothing that can be done. This isn't going to work out. This isn't going to be fixed. This is beyond my ability. Um, If that's you this morning, um, then you are a perfect candidate Um, to be used by God in an extraordinary way for God to show that nothing is too difficult for him. Uh, No child is too far from the Lord to to bring him home. Uh, No marriage is impossibly beyond repair. No friendship is too fractured that it is beyond God's healing. No life is too hopeless that it's beyond the hope of change. When we read the story of John the Baptist, we learn um, that God is in control, that he is sovereign. We learn that nothing is too difficult for God. And we also learn that God answers prayers. God answers prayers. Look at verse 11 in Luke chapter 1. It says, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. You think? (laughs) There's sometimes when I read the Bible, when I just think that's, like the ultimate understatement. Like, like, oh, look, an angel. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Um, God is sovereignly in control of everything that takes place in the world and under the sun. Life is not some crapshoot. He's in control Uh, He is sovereign, and uh, God answers the prayers of his people. Your prayer has been heard. God sovereignly caused Elizabeth, a barren woman who was advanced in years, to become pregnant, to give birth to John the Baptist, to be a forerunner to Jesus. This was part of God's good and perfect plan, and it was an answer uh, to one man's prayer which just blows me away. Uh, can I ask you this morning, what are you praying about? What are you praying about? What are you, what are you asking the God of the universe? What are you asking him for? A friend recently gave me a book on prayer. I read it in a few days, which is an accomplishment for me. Uh, you don't need to know this, but most books that I read, I pick up and I read for 30, 40, 50 pages and I set them aside. 
Uh, I am like the, the dog and up, like I'm like squirrel. If you were to look through my Kindle, you would notice that like every book is like 37%, you know, 42%. I get distracted easily. Uh, but I wasn't distracted when I read this book. There's something about it that just uh, captivated my attention. Um, it's one of those books that, quite honestly, I think that I'll go back to uh, years from now, or at least I want to. But it was interesting, as I was reading this book on prayer, and I was listening to it, I was reading through the pages, and I had this thought. I thought, this is a really good book on prayer. Like, I, I really am enjoying this. And then I had this thought. I, I, like, I wonder um, if it's going to change my prayer life. Like, I transitioned from, oh, that was a good book about prayer, to wondering, like, James, I, like, I wonder if this is going to cause you to pray more or, or differently or more frequently. Not in, a, not in a legalistic sort of way, not in a check-the-box sort of way, but, but in the sense of, like, you have access to the God of the universe. You do. You do. Through Jesus. You have access to God. And apparently God hears the prayers of his people. Like he listens to you. Like little old you. Like you may feel unimpressive. You may feel forgotten. You may feel like God has bigger fish to fry. But the God of the universe listens to your prayers. And apparently, uh, he answers them. God, God answers uh, prayers. He answers your prayers and my prayers. God is in control. Nothing is too difficult for God. And God answers prayers. So what are you praying about today? I said I wanted us to think together about what this passage teaches us about God. I said I want us to think together about what it teaches us about humanity and then I said, I want us to think together about, is, is this calling us to, to think or to do or to feel something that's causing us to move or to act? So what does this teach us about uh, humanity? One thing stood out as I read it, uh, and that is this. We point people to Jesus, uh, but we are not Jesus. Or we point people to the way, uh, but we are not the way. But an angel said to Zechariah, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. For he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John the Baptist's reason for being, his purpose in life, his mission, the reason that he was on the planet was to tell anyone and everyone who would listen you should follow that guy. Like he lived his life for this. 
John chapter 1, verse 29, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John's role was simply to point people to Jesus. We, you and me, we have the joy of doing the same. We're on the planet for this purpose. Uh, We get to point other people to Jesus. That that is not a role or a job for a select few. Uh, It is not for the seminary-trained professionals and pastors. It is for uh, the people of God. God has called you and me to be his representatives uh, here on earth to point other people to him. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And listen to this, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Scripture teaches us that Christ came uh, to do the ministry of reconciliation, to draw people to the God of the universe. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died and rose again. And we get to invite other people by faith to trust in his finished work, not to earn their way to God, not to earn God's favor, but the God of the universe has come to us and you can experience life. The God of the universe did the heavy lifting and then he invited us He invited us, you and me. He said, I'm going to give you this message and now give it away. Give it away. Like you go and tell your family and your friends and your neighbors and your colleagues, you go with the message. Isn't that amazing? The the God of the universe has, has chosen broken and sinful people like you and me and said, I've got an idea. I'm going to give the life-altering, life-changing, eternity-shaking message of the gospel to you. And you are going to represent me here on earth. Who does that? God does. Like, he, he dreamed up that idea. That's how he set it up. So our main goal is not simply to get smart. It's not simply to come together, think about the things of God. We should do those things. We should study his word. We should be challenged by his word. We should pursue holiness. All of those things are true. But it doesn't end here. Like, God has called us to move out into the world. He's given you and me uh, the message. We, we are not the Savior of the world, but we point people to the Savior of the world. This is the story that God invites us into. And so how does God want us to respond? How does he want us to think differently or to feel differently? Or does he want us to do something 
uh, that we're not doing. Just two observations. This is kind of changing the way that we think. I share these in hopes that it might encourage us this morning. Uh, Number one, um, it's possible uh, to demand too much evidence before believing in God. It's possible to demand too much evidence before believing in God. Now, maybe you hear that and you go, like, what's that all about? Where where did you get that? Well, I, I got it from verse... 18 in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Isn't it interesting? I mean, I read this story and there's part of me, like when I'm thinking about Zechariah and like how I would have responded if I were in his shoes and seeing the angel and going, like, what's this all about? And yet here, Zechariah is made mute because he did not believe God. It was almost as if God through the angel, had given him ample evidence. He knew the word, like he knew the word. He knew the promises of God. He hears the voice of the angel going, hey, this is how it's going to play out. And yet he doesn't believe. And I wonder how many times in life we don't function much the same way. Like God's given us ample evidence. Like we know. Like we know. God's given to us his word. He's made it clear to us. God's led us through the voices of others or through promptings of the Holy Spirit. Like he's called us and made it clear to us. And he calls us to believe and follow him. But we sit back and we go, "Mm, I don't know. It's like when Jesus spoke to the crowds in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this is Jesus. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's like Jesus is speaking to the crowd and going, what what more evidence do you need? Jesus tells the crowd, like, essentially, I'm going to die and be buried and defeat death and be raised to life. So what more evidence do you need? Like, you you, you love the wisdom of, of men, You follow the wisdom of men. But Jesus is saying, I am more wise than any man on the planet. Someone greater than Solomon is here. God has given to us his word. He's given to us his son. He's given to us the resurrection. Like we we live post-resurrection. Like we've seen God move and act and work. And it's amazing how easy it is for us to kind of sit back at times and go, God, I, I'm going to need a little more from you. 
It doesn't mean that there aren't times as followers of Jesus when we wrestle with faith. Uh, It doesn't mean that there are times where we we don't seek clarity from the Lord. Next week, when we look at uh, at the angel's pronouncement to to Mary, we're going to see how she responded. And and even Mary was like, hey, can you explain to me how this is going to work? So I'm not suggesting there aren't times in life, in the Christian life, when we don't wrestle and we don't ask questions. But it seems like there are, are times when God is going, um, I, I've given you ample evidence. It's, it's almost like a, a parent when a child continues to come to the parent and says, can I do this? 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 And you've answered their question already and you go, I've already answered that. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord doesn't lovingly uh, say, say to us, I've answered that. It's possible uh, to demand too much evidence uh, before believing God. Last observation. I think this is powerful. Um, Your worst moment in life uh, may be a part of your story, but it doesn't define your story. Your worst moment in life may be a part of your story, but it doesn't define your story. Um, All of us uh, have one (laughs) or two or thousands of decisions, uh, things we've said, things we've done, where we've thought to ourselves, boy, if I could do it over again, I would. And I want you to know that those experiences, those moments, those decisions may be a part of your story, but they don't define your story. Why do I say that? Well, look at uh, Luke chapter 1. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Uh, He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. And did you catch that? When when Scripture is describing Zechariah and Elizabeth, it it says that they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. When Scripture talks about someone being blameless or walking blamelessly, it just uh, means that they're one who walks uh, with God. They they are uh, morally... Uh, upright. They, they love the Lord. And so that's the beginning of Zechariah's story here in Luke chapter 1. If you were to fast forward uh, to the end of his story, um, after he's able to speak again, because remember, he got put in verbal timeout because he didn't believe, he was literally put in a cone of silence. He couldn't speak until his son was born and he named him. And, and after that takes place, after he gets his voice back, uh, he writes this, this beautiful prophecy. In Luke chapter 1, verse 64, it says, Zechariah, his mouth was opened and he praised God. Right, so those are the bookends to his story. Walks blamelessly with the Lord, um, sings praises to the God of the universe. And sandwiched in between those two bookends, uh, we see unbelief in his heart. Like the angel of the Lord comes, Gabriel's like, hey, this is, this is how it's going to go down. 
And he essentially shrugs him off or laughs it off. And, and, and the angel says to him, because you responded in unbelief, um, you will be silent. But that wasn't the last word in his life. It wasn't. It was a, it was a detour. Uh, it was a moment, a decision that he probably would like to have back. Um, but that was not the whole of his story. It's like some of us function in such a way where our worst moment uh, defines who we are. Like, I am that word spoken. I am that failed relationship. I, I am that foolish decision. I am that moment of anger. And God's word teaches us that our very worst moments in life do not have the last word. In, in Jesus, God invites us uh, to himself to experience the forgiveness that is ours. The forgiveness that is mine and the forgiveness that is yours. The God of the universe is in control of his universe. Nothing is impossible for God. God answers uh, the prayers of his people. And so may the God of the universe fill our hearts with faith uh, to believe and to take God at his word. And may we as the people of God be encouraged uh, that we are not defined by our, by our very worst moments, that in Jesus, God has offered forgiveness uh, to you and to me. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much uh, for inviting us to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I thank you for revealing yourself to us, for reminding us that the world that we live in is not out of control, that uh, the things that happen pass through your good and sure and steady hands first. Lord, thank you that nothing is impossible uh, for you, there, there's no situation that you look at or think about uh, where you shrug your shoulders and think, boy, I, I don't know what to do about that one. You are capable and able of doing the miraculous. God, thank you that you answer our prayers, that when we lift our voices, that we come before you in humility because of Jesus and we simply ask for your help, uh, you hear us and you show up. You've done it through all human history, and I pray that you might do it again. God, when we have fickle hearts that fail to believe, uh, when we function like a doubting Thomas, Lord, I pray that you would pour faith into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Give us faith uh, to believe. Uh, give us faith to believe that you're good, that you're a forgiving God, that our very worst moments don't uh, define us, don't determine our trajectory in life. Uh, because of Jesus and the forgiveness that is offered to us, you uh, make us new. And we give you thanks for that truth this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.